Welcome to the Finance Cafe podcast, the business podcast for women entrepreneurs that breaks through the money taboo and explores what's behind the numbers. Join your hosts, Shannon Peston and Shauna Frederick every week as they dive into conversations about business and finance with women entrepreneurs and the experts that support them to answer all those questions you have about the numbers and maybe some you haven't even thought of yet. With their combined experience in business, finance, and accounting, Shannon and Shauna know that financial management is more than just understanding the numbers, but understanding how our unique lived experiences, knowledge, thoughts, and behaviors around money shape the financial decisions we make in our companies. Here on the Finance Cafe podcast, presented by Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub, we're changing the way we talk about business and finance, empowering women entrepreneurs to see their business in a new light one conversation at a time. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast. My name is Shannon Peston, and I'm super excited to be here again with all of you. Today, our guest on the podcast is Dr. Wendy Sukir, who is the founder and academic director of the Diversity Institute, as well as Canada's Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. I have the opportunity to work with Wendy on a daily basis, as I also am a senior advisor to the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub. And I want to dive into some of the work that we've been doing over the past year, and most specifically to talk about the recent report that WEC launched, which is the 2023 State of Women's Entrepreneurship Report in Canada. Today, I get to sit down, ask Dr. Sukier some of the top questions that are burning on my mind about the progress we're making and what still needs to be done to close critical gender gaps here in Canada around entrepreneurship. So please join me in welcoming Dr. Sukier to the show. Thanks for having me. Now, Wendy, we know that uh, WEC plays such an important role in the advancement of Canada's women entrepreneurs and a big part of that strategy. But tell us just a little bit more about what the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub is. We call it WEC. What is the role that WEC plays in the advancement of women's entrepreneurship? You know, it's it's a good question. So the Women Entrepreneurship Knowledge Hub is part of the Women Entrepreneurship Strategy, which includes financing for women entrepreneurs. It includes investments in the innovation ecosystem, for example, funding for organizations like uh, WEOC, which includes the Alberta Women Entrepreneurs. And we're the research network. In some ways, we're the B2B piece of this, where we connect the pieces together And we also work with other players in the ecosystem. So our focus is not just on knitting together the programs and organizations that are are designed to support women entrepreneurs, but we also work with the financial institutions, with universities, with incubators and accelerators, with organizations providing training and supports, VCs and so on, with an eye to creating a more inclusive uh, ecosystem. And so what that means is not just advocating for programs that are specifically designed for women, and we certainly did that, for example, through COVID, based on the evidence that women entrepreneurs are different than men entrepreneurs and they have different needs. But we also work really hard to identify and erode barriers that exist in large financial institutions, for example, that they may not be 
fully aware of. So we try to use evidence and data to drive change. Yeah, and absolutely the importance of data, because I've often heard you say that what gets measured gets done. And in a lot of countries, Canada not excluded, we haven't had the data to be able to inform policy and also help close some of those critical gaps from different institutions like the financial sector to help us all move towards the advancement of women's entrepreneurship. You mentioned the word inclusive, and I want to circle back and, and one of the differentiators for Canada and WEC is that this women's entrepreneurship strategy takes an intersectional lens. And help us understand why is that so important? It's critically important. And, and you know, this first became really obvious to me on work we were doing on uh, boards and in leadership. And so we did a study in the greater Toronto area. And we looked at representation on boards and uh, in in the C-suite in different sectors. And it would not surprise you to know that women were underrepresented. But when we compared white women to racialized women, we found for every racialized woman, there were 12 white women on boards. And they're one-to-one in the population. Racialized women are half the population in, in the GTA. Then when we dug in more and looked, for example, at Indigenous women or women with disabilities or those who identify as uh, 2SLGBTQ+, immigrant women, and so on, you see the experiences are very different. And it's almost as if um, women entrepreneurs face a set of barriers. But when you add these intersectional identities, the barriers also uh, increase quite dramatically. And the other side of it is some segments are far more entrepreneurial than others. So for instance, we know that newcomer women are more likely to export because they have familiarity with international markets. And if you dig down even further, we see that in some populations, for example, if you look at South Asian entrepreneurs, almost half of them are women, um, much higher representation than in the general population. If we look at black entrepreneurs, one third of them are women almost twice as many as you would see in the general population. So it's really important to dig in. And then, Shannon, I'm sure, as as you've talked about, when we look at Indigenous women, the issues that they face are dramatically different, especially if they live on reserve, because the conditions under which they can get financing are so very, very different, even though Indigenous women are more likely to be entrepreneurs than in the general population. So it is really important that we take into account these differences because while all women face some shared experiences, different segments of women entrepreneurs face very, very different barriers and opportunities. Well, and I love that you've brought that up because we also had Nadine Spencer on our show who really helped highlight this in the Black community as well. We've had Magnolia pair on with NACA to talk about the different challenges that Indigenous women entrepreneurs face. And I, I couldn't agree more that the importance of looking at this from, you know, we need to think about how, what's working for whom and where are people being left behind. And we talk about the importance of research and you've mentioned uh, the important role that WEC plays in being that being that connector of information. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about, Wendy, is, is that Canada is seen as a leader in women's entrepreneurship. And from the research you've done, 
I'm curious to know where are we leading and are there countries that we can be learning from? Who are we looking to for inspiration? So it's really interesting you ask that question because it it kind of depends on what measures are that you're focused on. I would say, hands down, Canada is leading in terms of government commitments and investments in women entrepreneurs. And from a strategic point of view, what is so critical and what I am so proud of is not just the intersectional approach, which I don't see in other countries except maybe south of the border. Um, but also what they call the whole of government approach. And what that means is they're not just focused on throwing money into pots, targeting women entrepreneurs. They're focused on applying a gender lens to procurement. The government spends billions and billions of dollars every year on purchasing. A portion of that is, is now designated for women entrepreneurs. And in addition to setting that target, they're also providing support to help women entrepreneurs access those opportunities and to develop the capacity to engage with what are often very complex procurement rules. So that's one example. Another example that we came across recently is agriculture. As we know, majority-owned Women enterprises are not so common in agriculture. Women are often 50-50 owners of, for example, farms. So entrepreneurship for women in agriculture is hugely important. And I was really pleased when um, Agriculture Canada approached us because they were launching a challenge to deal with the net zero issues and emissions from cattle, for example. And they specifically said, we want to make sure there are women entrepreneurs who apply. So we're starting to see a lot more intentionality right across government um, for making opportunities for women. You know, when they apply a gender and diversity lens to programs, they are actually now starting to ask questions. If we design a program in this way, who will be excluded? For instance, if you say that only uh, small, medium enterprises or incorporated businesses are eligible. About 18%-ish are majority owned by women. If you include people who are self-employed, close to 40% are owned by women, and it's almost a million. So, And the same thing, as you would know, is true of Indigenous entrepreneurs. They're much less likely to be incorporated. Um, And so... That, for me, is one of the most unique things um, that we're seeing in Canada. Entrepreneurial intent, entrepreneurial culture, we're not—we're kind of in the middle of the pack. Um, we are seeing progress there. We're seeing the gap between men and women narrowing. The Global Entrepreneurship Monitor report showed that now women are 80% as likely as men to have aspirations to become entrepreneurs or early entrepreneurship activity. So the signs, in my view, are are pointing in the right direction. We have more women unicorns than we've ever had before. The gap between men and women in terms of export is narrowing. It's almost non-existent in terms of innovation. We're seeing that women entrepreneurs innovate more in some areas than men do. So those are all signs of progress from my point of view, but it's always a question of 
is the glass half full or is it half empty? And we got a long way to go still. Well, we still have a long way to go, but I so appreciate that the research is starting to inform us so that we can continue to see what's working and what's not working. So let's talk about the 2023 uh, State of Women's Entrepreneurship Report that WEC uh, just launched a couple of weeks ago. So as you're synthesizing this new information and putting it together, did anything surprise you in this year's report? This is a, a, you know, you've been doing this report now for a few years in a row. So did anything surprising or anything jump out at you? Well, I guess we know that COVID hit all entrepreneurs hard and it hit women especially hard. And so what I was really pleasantly surprised about is that the gap between men and women has apparently narrowed in the last few years. So I was worried that we were going to see women falling even farther behind. And in fact, according to the data that was released, the average percent of majority owned women businesses of all businesses is now around 18%. And the last data that we had Um, from 2020, just for SMEs, not for all businesses, just for SMEs, was more like 17%. So that looks like progress in spite of COVID, which I found really quite surprising. I think the other areas which I've already mentioned were things like the gap around innovation. and, And that should be really good grist for the mill around pushing regional development agencies and economic development um, offices of municipalities, provinces, as well as the federal government to really think more seriously about how they're treating uh, women entrepreneurs. Because often that focus on manufacturing and tech excludes women. And it's clear that there are huge opportunities. Some of the data I already mentioned, um, you know, when you look at different ethnic groups, I was really surprised to see that data on South Asian women almost achieving parity with men. And I think the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor stats, you know, we have to, you can't judge a trend based on a difference one year over one year uh, was encouraging. The biggest thing for me, though, is we got an economist, Morley Gunderson, very well-known, well-respected Royal Society economist from the University of Toronto, to start thinking about the question, how do we judge impact? How do we assess impact? Because I grew up in in a GM town where Everyone put everything they had into saving auto worker jobs because, you know, the the Canadian auto workers at the time, now Unifor, had said very clearly, you lose one auto job, there's six other jobs that are dependent on it that are in the supply chain. I believe, haven't, haven't got the data yet, but I believe based on anecdotal results, based on data, for example, from Corrales, formerly CEO, data from other organizations investing specifically in women, that dollar for dollar investments in women entrepreneurship not only produce as many jobs as dollar for dollar investments in other sectors, in big companies, in tech, which is usually very high risk, But also, they produce other benefits in terms of sustainability and in terms of of community. Because 
too often in my view, and I was the vice president of research and innovation, we're kind of spellbound by the tech opportunities, the quantum computing, the theoretical physics investments, all of which really important. But creating postdocs is not creating jobs. Those are research opportunities at universities that will disappear as soon as the government money disappears. Mm -hmm. And we often ignore job creation and protection in Main Street businesses. And we've got lots of really interesting examples of where women or newcomers or, or others have created jobs in small communities, for example, and kept those jobs going. And sometimes I think the economists who make these big decisions overlook smaller towns and the contributions of women, of Black entrepreneurs, of Indigenous entrepreneurs. Some Indigenous communities, those small businesses are the lifeblood of economic and social development. And we have to have better mechanisms for understanding those impacts. So that's really in terms of where we're going. That's where our focus is, is how do we demonstrate the impact of these investments in a way that really captures their importance. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, and I did see that really clearly stated as new research that was, you know, highlighted this year that talks about the importance of rethinking. So I'm so happy to see your organization leading the charge in this, Wendy, because I couldn't agree more. We see so many women working on what we know as the world's to-do list. And yeah, absolutely. Vicki Saunders and the team at Corellis have been really thought leaders around this. And I think really challenged the whole ecosystem to say, hey, there's something really important here that we're not putting an economic uh, value on. So uh, great. I can't wait to see what you have to say this time next year on this. One of the other things that COVID really highlighted for us was the importance of having local supply chains. <laughs> you know, if we want to be fed and we want to be cared for, we have to be supporting local businesses as well as those global supply chains where everyone was outsourcing everything. And I think that repatriation of some of our supply chains, especially around food, but also other consumer goods, is really going to have an impact on opportunities for women and other diverse entrepreneurs, because that's often the space that they play in. Well said. Now, I want to talk about the the fact that you mentioned earlier, you really are the B2B connector in all of this. And, and at, at WEC, you often talk about taking a systems approach to the work that you're doing. Can you talk about what that means? It's a buzzword that we often hear in our ecosystem, but what does it mean to be taking a systems approach? So there aren't simple solutions to complex problems. You can't just throw some money in a pot and say, there, we've done. You know, if you look at the barriers to women entrepreneurs, they're at multiple levels, stereotypes. Ask anyone to name three entrepreneurs, they're likely to name, you know, whoever's been in the news, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, Steve Jobs, whatever. They don't think about Celine Dion who is one of the richest women in Canada. They don't mention Oprah Winfrey or Kylie Jenner or, you know, who's a billionaire at the age of 20. And, all you know, she picked her family well. But apart from that, the focus on tech, on Silicon Valley, on white men is really embedded in the system in fundamental ways. And we know that that percolates down where women get asked different questions. If you're in tech, 
tech is very risky. 90% of tech businesses fail, but it has such an appeal that people will invest in tech and overlook, for example, pantyhose that do not run as a huge market opportunity. So we have to recognize that that's an issue. We have to recognize that there are historic traditions. And and Shannon, of course, you've worked in financial institutions. You taught me about the five C's and how the very decision-making processes that financial institutions use, which are often based on historic data, which is often dominated by men in tech, in manufacturing, create distortions in terms of how women-led businesses are assessed. And quite apart from that, there are the issues of financial literacy, and often women are discouraged borrowers. They don't even try to access funds because they think they're going to get turned down. Uh, When we look at, at, at incubators and accelerators, many of them have replicated the toxic environment that we know dominates the tech sector. So I guess it's to say that you can't, you you have to be prepared to recognize that these things are all interconnected. I already mentioned procurement as one of the biggest levers, and that's not just government procurement, that's big businesses that say they're committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, putting their money where they're where their mouth is. And then if you look, we just did a a workshop out in Halifax with our ecosystem partners and just called them all together in a room because we have programs that are focused on uh, leadership, the 50-30 challenge, we have the WEC programs, we have digital skills programs. And what was really interesting is we knew all the people in the room. They didn't know each other. And in many communities where there have been government investments, there's almost competition for the funds that are available, we should have a single point of entry. Someone comes in one door as an entrepreneur, and if they're not really suited to, you know, the creative destruction lab because they're too early stage, they get referred to the Women's Center in Halifax. And there's there's growing recognition of the importance of building those connections. So I think that's the other thing with a systems approach is instead of thinking you don't fit in the box that I am currently playing in and shutting the door, you say, come in, we don't have what you need, but this is where you can go because we do find the wayfinding and the navigation is really problematic. There are actually lots of resources out there, but people don't know about them. And, you know, good example is the CDAP program, the Canadian Digital Adoption Program. Free money, easy money, easy money. But to implement new technologies, a lot of women entrepreneurs aren't aware of it. And even if they sort of know about it, the application process may be daunting. So we need a lot more handholding and support as well to navigate what's available in the ecosystem. Yeah, you bring such a great point. And I know we all, uh, just talked about a, a report around why women are bootstrapping other uh, companies. And I talked about two concepts of nudge and sludge. And that sludge is being that that paperwork is really onerous. It can be a daunting process and that we have, really do have to encourage more women by nudging them through that process. Um, so I, I appreciate 
uh, the comments that you're making, the sentiments around that, that there is a lot of money, it's often really hard to find. And then even when you do find it, it can be arduous, an arduous process. Uh, and if you're a solo entrepreneur, that can be really difficult to take time away from your business to do those applications, or that it might be even language that's new language to you. So obviously, we've seen that there's been some great progress in some domains. You've highlighted some of them for us, Wendy. And also on the other side, you kind of mentioned that is a glass half full or half empty? So let's talk about some of the work that remains to be done. From your perspective, what are some of the key takeaways for these ecosystem players, whether that's government or financial services providers or the ecosystem that's supporting on the ground uh, and women entrepreneurs themselves? What are some of the key takeaways that you have for all of us? So I think I think we have to continue to to name the problems and recognize them and not blame the women entrepreneurs. I really don't like the fact that some financial institutions basically say we're perfect. The problem is women don't know anything about finance. We'll educate the women and that will make it all better. We know there's bias built into the the system and we know that unless they're prepared to confront that bias um, things won't change. We know that some of the financial institutions has gamed the system. You know, they say, oh, we're announcing X number of dollars we're investing in women entrepreneurs. And all they did was kind of compile the money that they've already been making available. So like, I think accountability is critically important around these programs. And I'm a big, you had asked earlier about where we are in the world. I think we lead in some areas. But the Invest in Women code from the UK, and you will remember, Shannon, this is something that Women Entrepreneur Expert Panel was recommending several years ago, really does push transparency and accountability for financial institutions. You say you support women entrepreneurs. Where's your money going? What are the terms you're you're offering? I mean, we found some really shocking cases of predatory interest rates, for instance, because people say, oh, well, you know, women are higher risk. Well, they're higher risk, perhaps based on the standards that you developed for men. But as, as some of the programs show, I mean, Corrales has 100% repayment rate. And, and you can't beat that. So, so I think that's really important. I think knitting the pieces together is, is really important in the intermediaries have to take some accountability for that. It's great that there are winners and losers every time there are grants available, but you really have to encourage people to to work together uh, more closely. And the big thing for me, I'm, you know, I'm from tech, so I am all about getting more women in technology, you know, pushing the, the tech agenda, opening up incubators to more women and so on. But I also know that well over half of entrepreneurs generally start with less than $5,000. And it is really hard in Canada to get less than $5,000. And, you know, it, 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 I find it shameful. Uh, it's funny because people often clap when I say, you know, the Black Business Professional Association Rise Up Competition attracted 1,700 Black women entrepreneurs for eight prizes of $10,000. For me, that's shameful because what it indicates is there is this terrible, terrible, terrible need 
in that specific community for access to funds. And, you know, Nadine Spencer, who you've had on the program, will say for some women, it's $1,000. If they had $1,000 to buy some materials, that would launch their business. So I think we this, this idea that we have to better understand the impact and the contribution of, of supporting a woman entrepreneur, because you support women entrepreneurs, you're supporting families, you're supporting communities, you're supporting the economy and you're supporting the sustainable development goals. I think we really have to work on on building awareness of that and celebrating the successes. You know, I love the See It Be It campaign because there are all sorts of women doing all sorts of things right across sectors, and we need to raise awareness of their contributions. You just brought up something really important with WEC, with the See It, Be It campaign. If we wanted to nominate more women entrepreneurs or even nominate ourselves for that list, where's the place to go for that? Where can we get more information? The WEC website, and and Shannon, you can probably post it or share it because honestly, like, again, I'm mortified. I teach courses in entrepreneurship at Toronto Metropolitan University. And last year I taught a course in uh, innovation. There was not a single, not one woman entrepreneur in the whole 13 weeks. I introduced a special section on, you know, women and diverse entrepreneurs, but most textbooks have no examples. It's it's really shameful. And so we have to work hard to celebrate those successes. Well, we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes, the WEC See It, Be It campaign. So, Wendy, as we close, I feel like I could ask you a hundred more questions. I'm always so interested to get inside your brain and to learn what you learn what you know, but also just there's, there's so much wisdom in you and you're such a trailblazer in this space. And I know that so many of us look up to to you for the work that you've done. And so my closing question for you is when you think about the work that's been done to date. Uh, the work that's still ahead, what's your vision for women's entrepreneurship here in Canada? Quite honestly, um, I'm old enough to remember when we used to talk about lady doctors. And the reason we talked about lady doctors, and even my my late mother who worked in a doctor's office would always, always refer to the lady doctors. The reason we talked about lady doctors is because doctors were men and there were a few women who became doctors. So they were the lady doctors. I feel like we're still at that stage with women entrepreneurs. And so where I'd like to get to is where we just talk about entrepreneurs and we recognize the diversity of entrepreneurs and and women are on a level playing field. And I think that for me, that that is what I would hope to see because as long as we're talking about women entrepreneurs and black entrepreneurs, and Indigenous entrepreneurs, we know that we don't have um, an equitable and inclusive ecosystem. Hmm, I love it. So when we can get to that place, we know that we have arrived to that state of an equitable place for all of us to thrive. 
Wendy, thank you so much for being with us again here at the Finance Cafe, all the support that you have given us as well, but mostly for all the incredible work that you're doing in our ecosystem with government, with industry, with civil society, with Women Entrepreneurs Direct. You have been an incredible champion, uh, and it is a pleasure to know and work with you. So thank you for having us on the show. Thanks. It's a team sport, and you're an important part of the team. So thank you, Shannon, for everything that you do. Thank you for listening to the Finance Cafe podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know by leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast. And to ensure you never miss a new episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. If you'd like to stay connected with us, you can find us on social at the Finance Cafe official or on our website at thefinancecafe.ca. See you again next week for another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast.